0: when you work with your body and not against it, you'll begin
1: to discover that you are, in fact, designed to heal. I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Designed to Heal. I am just your average. Jeff here, sit with Dr. Ben Rawl. Ben, I am. Uh, today is like Christmas.
0: Yeah. It's like I know. Christmas in
1: whatever month it is. Um, because uh, our guest today is somebody that, first of all, is going to bring, I, I just, I think, knowledge on a subject that, like, you ever. Man, I know that in your world, you look at things, sometimes you go, man, I just wish everybody, like everybody should know this, right? And I think today we're going to have one of those moments on a broader topic than our usual wheelhouse. So why don't you... Uh, with that said, why don't you introduce to our audience who we have and, and welcome our guest?
0: Yeah, for sake of time and our guest that we have, I don't want to take too much time. We could talk about her work and her background for a long time. Our guest today is Chrisanne Hall. She's an attorney, but her background is very interesting—from work with the military to work with the state of Florida to um, traveling around, speaking. Many people came to know her through COVID even more intimately, specifically regarding you know medical freedom issues, constitutional mm-hmm. laws, when all these things were happening. We're going to talk about today, right? When churches were being, you know, shut down. I don't even like to say they're being shut down. They allowed themselves to comply to that. They'd never have been shut down. But she's gonna talk all about this today, um, hopefully. So we are so honored. Um of course living in Florida, we like to claim her, right? You know, she's uh <laughs> you know she's uh, she's one of ours but um we've been I've wanted this have her here for so long because and we were talking a little bit off air Jeff about you know wanting to not, she made a comment about, you know, there's people get in front of a microphone, sometimes they think they're an expert in everything. And I yeah. really appreciate her comment saying, hey, I just, I know what I know, right? And I'm gonna yeah. speak to yeah. what I'm an expert in. And so because of these complicated issues, constitution and laws and all this stuff, to have an expert in that, a legitimate, deeply yeah. expert, to have her today, we are super, super lucky. So we are just going to go at it today. Thank you for having, uh, making time for us today, Chrisanne. Will you tell us a little bit about your background, and then we'll just get into this? Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I I was a Russian linguist. Well, my I started off with a degree in biochemistry. Um, and I was a analytical research chemist for Monsanto, and for sorry to hear you know that. a couple of <laughs> a couple of other places uh, in St. Louis and in Colorado. Um, and then I joined the military. I was a Russian linguist for the U.S. Army, and then when I got out of the army, I went to law school, and I spent the first part of my law career as a prosecutor for the state of Florida until my boss, which just to be upfront at that time, I was not very politically active. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the political leanings of my boss at the time was not really on my radar. I mean, I really didn't know who he was nor did I even care you know I mean it's not that's sort of the the trait of the conservative is leave me alone I'll leave you alone and we'll all be happy so and that's how it it. was you know (laughs) and so um I I just I've got laid on my heart to start teaching the constitution this sort of a, a rather long involved story down to the you know the bullet points but Because I'd been to law school and I started researching and reading on my own and realizing that what I had learned in law school didn't even remotely come close to what the Constitution actually says or what it actually means. And so I began teaching the Constitution to uh, middle schoolers. I began teaching uh, specifically First Amendment, Bill of Rights issues. And I started teaching to local Groups, civic groups, political groups, business groups, and my boss decided that he didn't like what I was te- or how I was teaching the Constitution as a matter of fact. Now, this is an attorney, right? He writes me an email and says that uh, to teach that the Constitution demands limited government is an ethical conflict because I work for government. Wow. So he's actually, yeah, he was accusing me of an ethics violation for teaching that the Constitution requires limited government. And then he told me that I had to cease all and assist all my association on my own free time with any group he didn't approve of. Wow. Or lose or, or quit my job. So that was my ultimatum. You do as I say or quit your job. Well, I didn't quit my job and I didn't give in to his ultimatum. I told him that his, you know, he, he didn't give me my rights and I wasn't going to trade them for his paycheck. And he said, so you have to quit. And I told him I'm not quitting. So he fired me. And that, that was over 11 years ago and really started off the path that I'm on now, where I travel and teach the Constitution across America for seven years before the lockdown we average 260 meetings in over 22 states every single year. I've, I've literally taught tens of thousands, if not over hundreds of thousands of people at this point, Uh, middle school, high school, colleges, law schools. I've taught the legislators of 11 states in session, some of them more than once. I have a program, a three-hour continuing education program that I teach to sheriffs and deputies and peace officers across the country. Um, I've written six books on the Constitution. I have my own podcast uh, I'm a correspondent and a contributor to multiple on you know news sources that are not mainstream. <laughs> Just be sure you were out there. <laughs> but I mean, I, I you know it's not really about me though, and and that's what's important about what I want people to understand is the only reason I ever tell people what I do is because unfortunately we live in a society that is is somewhat reliant on the cult of the expert. And so I have all the, you know, I mean, the haters are out there. They always call me, this is funny because, you know, in your profession, you'll appreciate this. They, they whenever I go to teach somebody, uh, the liberal media outlets descend upon my reputation and they call me a self-proclaimed or a self-described constitutional attorney. And I, and I, I ask, I always write the journalists and I ask them, do you have a self-proclaimed doctor? Do you have a self-proclaimed plumber? Because the (laughs) last time I checked the university of Florida proclaimed me to be attorney The Florida Bar Association proclaims me to be attorney and 20 years of practice in constitutional law proclaims to me to be a constitutional attorney. So (laughs) it's, you know, it's, it's just those things that we have to overcome because we are so, you know, we are a people that like experts.
0: So Chrisanne, let me ask you something. When, when you talk to like, you know, even these middle schoolers or, you know, or legislators or other attorneys and all kind of the, the whole scope there, can you And then the risk of oversimplifying. But, you know, uh, and I want our listeners to know right now about a a documentary that you created called uh, Noncompliant. And it's beautiful. It's about an hour and 40 minutes, I think. And 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 it's you doing a, a presentation with some other additional information in there. But can you give us like the... The most common, I don't want to say, mistakes or misunderstandings, what does a person on at the, at the bare minimum need to know? Because a lot of things came to light over these last couple of years, right? I mean, again, people didn't realize, and I, was, again, just embarrassing, married to an attorney and, uh, and everything else, I was just simply unaware, even though I think I'm pretty aware. Do you mind just giving us like the 101, and I, again, not to oversimplify this, but what do most people not understand? What are they confused about about the Constitution? And just kind of start us walking us through some of that.
2: Sure. We just like one, two, three it, because it's, it's, the constitution is very simple. And I think first and foremost, we have been um, deceived into believing that it's complicated, that you have to be some kind of scholar to understand it. And and it's the exact opposite. Those who wrote, those who ratified the constitution, ratified a document of simplicity on purpose. Uh, the, the, problem is, and this is where, you know, I even talked to lawyers, judges, I spoke in Texas one time and unbeknownst to me, there was a Supreme court justice in the audience, a Texas Supreme court justice. And he came to me after our, our foundational education Class is a history of the Constitution, where I take people back to 1014 and we go through British Constitution, British law to show how our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution and our Bill of Rights are not inventions. They're actually um, documents based on principles of, you know, blood bought hard learned lessons over a period of over 700 years. And it's, and it's also a lesson in understanding how human nature always repeats the mistakes of history when we don't learn history. And so this uh, Texas Supreme court justice came up to me, introduced himself and I was like, wow. All right. Cause I always get nervous when lawyers are in the audience because lawyers have been taught a lot of things about the Constitution that simply aren't true. And by the nature of being a lawyer, there's there, there's a tendency to be kind of arrogant about the things that you've learned. Law school breeds that kind of arrogance. And so I always sort of cringe. And he said to me, I learned more from you about the Constitution in one hour than I have in my entire legal
1: career.
2: Yeah, I'll second that. Minus minus the
1: legal career part, but I'll second that. Yeah, it
2: it was just absolutely amazing, you know, because here we have an understanding. And in my research I've come to understand, and this would be number one in our list of things that people don't know, we stopped teaching the Constitution's application properly in 1833. And so Unless you have a law student or a professor or a person, just an average person out there and a a not trained in law uh, who has taken it upon themselves to actually study on their own, everything they know about the constitution and consequently the purpose and role of government is tainted at best. And so I think, first off, the understanding that people don't know what they don't know, and quite often they're taught to be arrogant in knowing the wrong things. And so I I like to start off by explaining that one of the most destructive things that we've been teaching people is that Article 6, Clause 2, which we refer to as the Supremacy Clause, uh, of the Constitution dictates that the federal government and federal laws are superior to state laws and state government. That's absolutely not true, uh, completely false. Uh, the Constitution, the, the, our, the Supremacy Clause does not make the federal government supreme. It is called the Supremacy Clause because it identifies the Constitution as the supreme law of the land and everything else subordinate to that. As a matter of fact, Article 6, Clause 2 explains that anything that happens in the federal government, any laws, any acts, anything that are not consistent, not found within the Constitution specifically, are null and void. And so you have this this complete adoption of what I call the principle of federal supremacy being promulgated by judges and lawyers and politicians and, and bullied upon the people until we've actually transformed through errant ideology, the American constitutional Republic into an oligarchy. And I say oligarchy and not kingdom, because in reality, you combine that federal supremacy with what I call a judicial supremacy so that now we believe that the Supreme Court issues law of the land and whatever their opinions dictate is what we how we must live. We actually operate through ideology, errant ideology, under the understanding that we are an oligarchy ruled by five people. And that's probably one of the most destructive errors that the American people have been taught to believe.
0: So, Chrisanne, what would be kind of to set you up? So, and maybe this is right where you're going. So, what should it be, right? Because I mean, even listening to you, right? So many people, I've, I again, so many of us have gotten a crash course. You know, probably still a poor education, but more people. You know, just like, you know, more people have been talking about vaccines over the last two years than have ever talked about them in their life, even though there's been issues with them for years, but nobody wanted to talk about it. But now everybody's talking about it. You know, the Constitution, that's something you maybe talked about in eighth grade civics for a couple of days, maybe, Um, you know, and so now everybody, you know, wants to say they're an expert in it. But and then all these things started happening, right? It's these federal laws and federal mandates and shutting down that, you know, so what's the right perspective on that?
2: Well, the right perspective is actually what the Constitution actually says, um, that Article, two, Article 6, Clause 2, that anything that, con- that Congress does, and subsequently the President or the Supreme Court uh, does, that is not, in the language of the Constitution, is in pursuance of, which means if it's inconsistent with, not found in authority with the Constitution, it has no legal binding on the people.
0: So for example,
2: legal binding on the states.
0: So for for example, yeah, yeah, just, well, I was just thinking about the things that have happened, whether it's the church, you know, the, can you give us a couple of the classic COVID examples where, sure, yeah.
2: So a president issuing a mandate, uh, that you have to wear a mask or you have to take a vaccination is not valid, enforceable law because there is no authority delegated to the president of the united states through article 2 to make that decree and it, it gets complicated because of the you know the, the underlying ignorance and the fact right, that right. we've been operating the wrong way for a long time because inevitably when you say something like that somebody's going to come back and say well what about the what about the emergency powers act well The problem with the Emergency Powers Act is that that is an unconstitutional law, because number one, we've never delegated to Congress the authority to create a law that expands executive power. And to exam- expand executive power would require an actual amendment to the Constitution following the provisions in Article 5, which are extremely laborious and time consuming. So Congress cannot issue a law that expands presidential power, and they don't even have an authority to respond Uh, nationwide for emergencies. None of these powers are delegated. And that would bring me to number two. Uh, Barack Obama said, and and this is what a lot of law professors teach too. And what I'm telling you, by the way, is not a liberal left can, you know, affliction. This is a conservative affliction as well. Mm -hmm. You'll find people at the Heritage Foundation who will teach that the federal government is supreme and the judiciary is supreme and we must obey the federal government. But we have a situation where professors pundits and Barack Obama said from his bully pulpit that the Constitution is a document of can'ts. It tells the government what it can't do. It's actually the exact opposite. The Constitution is a contract that tells the federal government what it can do specifically. And if the power is not specifically listed or enumerated, then it falls into the can't category. So there are more can'ts than cans.
1: Christine, if I could ask you, there was uh, several things in the noncompliance um, document that first of all, any of our listeners, we're going to put a, a reference to that in the show notes because that is just fantastic. And so I don't want to spoil it too much, but just there were a couple of things that I took away from that. And one of them was the idea where you talked about the compact versus a contract. Could you mm-hmm. speak to that just for a second so the listener can understand? Um, because it, it, it kind of ties in with some of the things that you were just saying,
2: too. Yeah. Well, the, you know, without getting too complicated, the constitution is a contract between the states that creates the federal government. Now there's a lot of misinformation, miseducation and propaganda around that. Uh, Professors and pundits will call it the compact theory. It's not a theory. It's actually what the people who wrote the document called it. And so, uh, It is a contract between the states that creates the federal government. But it's a specific kind of contract called a compact. A contract is an agreement between people. But a compact is an agreement between sovereign governments. And the whole basis and understanding of the proper application of the Constitution rests in knowing, number one, that the Constitution is a compact. And number two, that it is a compact between the states that creates the federal government. Some people will say, well, the Constitution says we the people, so we have to know that the Constitution is an agreement between the people that creates the federal government. Only that's not true because the Constitution was not ratified by popular votes. in order for it to be an agreement between the people it would have to be ratified by popular vote. It wasn't, it was actually ratified. And the constitution itself says it must be ratified by three quarters of the States. And so the constitution is an agreement between the States that creates the federal government, which in that very basic understanding that I've given you, we do a a, a much better job of teaching that through non-compliant, but, uh, uh, just that basic understanding that the states created the federal government ought to tell us and, and indicate to us that there is a higher power in the states than in the federal government because the creator can't be less than its creation
1: mm-hmm. so essentially what you're saying is the the federal government serves at the the need and at the, the, the at the at the disposal if you will of the states and when they're not meeting those needs you know, we have we have an issue right now, not the other way around. Is that correct? It's a bit oversimplified. Yeah, the Constitution,
2: I know, but. Yeah, the Constitution specifically enumerates the duties of the federal government on behalf of the states. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For example, uh, securing the southern border would be a duty that we have delegated to the federal government. Mm-hmm. Their failure to do so then restores the power to do so to the states. Mm. So all the governors running around, you know, wringing their hands and complaining about the federal government not securing the border are actually negligent in their own duty Mm. because by the nature of the creation of the federal government, by the states when the federal government fails to do the job it's been hired to do that duty that authority falls back on the state itself those governors need to be securing their borders they're not they're not subjects of the king of washington dc they're actually independent sovereign governments who have an obligation through the state constitution to their own people
1: so here in the state of florida Um, we have a governor that seems to have a good handle and a good understanding of this whole process and has interjected himself and stepped in on multiple occasions, uh, certainly throughout COVID. Um, What is your take on him? How how do you rate the, how do you rate the gov right now in the state of Florida in terms of his uh, knowledge of the constitution and what he's doing for, uh, for the state?
2: Yeah, I think governor DeSantis is the most Uh, Well, I will say Governor DeSantis is the top governor at this point in these United States who is actually performing the duties of a governor and not uh, seeing himself as some kind of a hireling of of the president Mm. or of the federal government. And so he is at this point. And I was just I didn't hesitate because of my assessment of him, but I always like to try to be fair. And I was running through my brain, the 50 governors, and there, there isn't any governor out there that is doing what DeSantis is doing. And he's really uh, a great example of what in our constitutional republic, what a proper operating governor would look like mm. in relationship to the federal government.
0: I think it's interesting, and I, you know, um, you know, I, I wonder if it, it helps a little bit, you know, that he is a lawyer, right? That's his a bit of his background, and and even in military, right? So it is interesting, maybe that you know, you guys having just, and I mean, it's just you know, somewhat of a similar background. I think it gives you a perspective. Some of the things I see him doing, and the things I see you talking about is, is really just you know, the world that your your life experience that you've had. You've you you know, it's not a it's not a conspiracy theory. It's simply when mm-hmm. you actually take the time to read it, it's like you know, my world being a. a Doctor and when, and, or as a chiropractor, so sometimes people ask me about a certain medication, and I'll just tell them, for example, <laughs> hey, go read the um, insert. Right, you yeah. know, and they're yeah. like, and then you know, nine times out of ten, they go read and they go like, "Well, I would never take that," or you yeah. know, you could say the same thing about a COVID shot or any of those other things. And so, really, it's it's it is unfortunate that you know you talking very plain speak about the Constitution seems to be almost heresy sometimes. Um, you you wanted I want to ask you uh, so then, and I mean I know you have a third point, but you know, as it comes down to us as local, and I think maybe that's where you're going. You know, you I remember you talking in the video. You about you know really our most important office and you gave mm-hmm. this analogy and I, I want if you don't mind maybe doing and I it struck me because you used the name Ben and that's my name so I don't think you're referring to me but the Maserati story oh. and non-compliant yeah. but um, <laughs> but
2: no, there's actually somebody in the audience
0: <laughs> but it made me it made me it, it put it in such clear language to me of 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 how we need to maybe see this in a different way and then you brought in this this understanding of the sheriff and you mm-hmm. are a strong believer in local politics yes, and local are. office <laughs> You know, and I know we, you know, we're doing these things and I support these things. People want to, you know, rallies and protests and, and get it. I'm D.C. Like, I get it. I'm, I get it. Um, but let us not forget. I mean, I, I, you're on record, right, for saying the most important office is your local sheriff. Am I, is that yeah. the right words? So do you mind maybe taking us down to that level? And if you don't mind sharing the the, the car analogy?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that actually is number three in my bullet point, And that would be that the majority of the power to, uh control and to make change in government is at the local level, and that's by design of our constitutional republic. The power not delegated to the federal government is reserved to the states or to the people respectively, and that's actually the Tenth Amendment. So if it's not specifically enumerated to the federal government, it's reserved to the states through the people in their contract with the state, which is the state constitution. And so what has happened is that the federal government In exercising power that has not been delegated to it, right? Because there's no power, no political power floating out around in the ether.
0: And then we comply with it, which is the error. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Right. So uh, there's no political power floating around in the ether. It's either delegated to the federal government specifically or reserved to the people and then delegated in part to their states. So when the federal government exercises a power that's not actually delegated to it, it is stealing power from the states. And it doesn't matter how long they've been stealing power from the states. Stolen property never becomes legally acquired. Thomas Jefferson, uh, in non-compliant, I show you through uh, several quotes from the founders about how you know the stealing the power from the states is is actually uh, theft. It's not just simply an unconstitutional law. It's a theft. It's a criminal act of state power. And so we are because we have been deliberately denied. Proper education on the Constitution. The people, through either you know covetousness, want of free stuff, or ignorance, or both, we comply with these unconstitutional exercises of power, uh, which ends up stealing power from the people. And the sheriff is an institution that really begins in the year eight forty nine. Uh, and uh, I uh, I mentioned to you before that I have a continuing education course that I teach to the sheriffs, and in that course we walk through the history of the sheriff. On how in 849 the sheriff, which began in England, called the shire reeve. Because um, if you say shire reeve really fast with an English accent, it sounds like sheriff, right? And so the shire reeve begins as a hireling. And a a militant, violent arm of the king, whose only job is to blindly enforce every command of the king. And then in the year 1215, the role of the sheriff takes in a complete 180. And instead of being a hireling of a blind enforcer of the law for the king, in 1215, by law... The sheriff is then transformed into a defender of the rights and the property of the people, even against the king when the king is violating the rights of the people. So the sheriff then from 1215 to modern to our constitutional time is seen as a defender of the rights of the people, which is why at the state level and you know, we we actually have an online constitutional education program called LibertyFirstSociety.com. dot com. We have hundreds of students, hundreds of homeschool students, and college students. We have law. We have groups on law campuses, actually, law students who, who study with us at LibertyFirstSociety.com. dot com. We first have to understand that the state constitutions existed before the federal constitution. And in the state constitutions, the sheriffs are established as a check and balance on behalf of the people. They are not hirelings of the state, they don't work for the county. They're elected constitutional representatives of the people, and they're the highest authority. In the county. They outrank the governor, they outrank the county, they even outrank the president of the United States within their county and their obligation and their duty is to defend the rights of the people. That's why they take an oath to the Constitution. And so through a constitutional sheriff, the governor cannot even enforce unconstitutional acts according to the state Constitution. So in Florida, as great as DeSantis is, DeSantis ordered the lockdown of businesses, and that is contrary to the state constitution. A constitutional sheriff in the state of Florida would have said at that time, I am not going to allow you to shut down my businesses. The state police will not come. The state health department will come. The county health department will not come because it's my duty to my oath to secure the rights and the property of the people. And this order is not based in Constitution. And so that really is the role and the duty of the sheriff. And I believe that. Well, I can't say I believe it. I know it. I know it so completely that uh, noncompliant was our first documentary. We are now filming our second documentary, Noncompliant 2, and its subtitle is The Sheriff, where we're going to mm-hmm. teach this all about this history of the sheriff. And if you don't mind, yeah. the, the, the films are all n- nonprofit. And so we're actually praying for donors for to help us Uh, fund non-compliant too, which is a little bit more expensive than non-compliant because we're actually flying across the country with our film crews and interviewing the sheriffs who are constitutional sheriffs taking a stand and defending the rights of the people. Because the honest to God truth is the the media is not giving the people this information because the media does not want the people to know that they have such a strong and powerful advocate on their behalf. So at noncompliantmovie.com, we're taking donations. They're all tax deductible. So whatever you can donate there, uh, we we appreciate your help to get this second documentary out.
1: Certainly encourage the listeners to do that. And and Chris to add to that you said that maybe the media doesn't want people to know and I wonder how many also they don't know. And because they don't know, they're working from a false assumption and then continuing mm-hmm. to spread misinformation. So it, it leads the the listener to a question. How did we get here? And and I heard you say earlier, you said in 1833, we stopped teaching mm-hmm. constitutional application. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that was at the root of things. But can you go into that for a second? What happened there? Was that deliberate? It was and And then why do you think we are where we are beyond the obvious of simply not educating this kind of stuff? And then maybe we can talk about what we do about it.
2: Well, um, how about if I start off by giving you the wisdom of Samuel Adams. Samuel Adams said, no people will tamely surrender their liberties nor be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue is preserved. Mm. He said, on the contrary, when the people become universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, they will sink underneath their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. Wow. And so if we ad, if we're honest, we'll admit that our ignorance and our compliance has destroyed more liberty in America in the last two years than we have suffered from foreign uh, entities in in 200 years.
0: Chris Ann, can I ask you something about that? So I'm sure. think, so I mean, the. Because I think this is a really important point. A lot of us, myself included often, um, can find myself just complaining about stuff, mm-hmm. right? Because it's frustrating, you know, right? And all of that. Even though we live in Florida and all that stuff, and I get frustrated. Um, and when you when, when, when you think about that word ignorance and compliance, it puts a lot of the onus on us which I think we need mm-hmm. to we need to take ownership and responsibility when I listen to the language of Samuel Adams and, and many of these other great founding fathers frankly oftentimes when I read their their writings and their quotes I'm just amazed at just their their intellect right and it's so yeah. rare today to even hear language like that just a paragraph with that much intelligence in it however um, so I, I want to ask you this, and then, I, like Jeff said, talking about solutions, this idea—but so but it still requires people to be noncompliant, to be courageous, to be brave, even though it shouldn't take that. So there was an example you talked about even in Florida where, you know, uh, Rodney Brown, you know, uh, Pastor Rodney Brown was arrested— right? And Mm so, you know, there's this tension. I think what happens to so many people is that fear, they want it to not have to come to that. So they're afraid to stand up. They want somebody else to do it. They want somebody else to do it for them. They want somebody else to sue. They want somebody else to stay doors open, right? And so many of those businesses that complied with a non, you know, an illegal, you know, power grab, even by our, you know, strong governor who, you know, who does, has done many great things. But to your point, you know, until the people resist the madness and stop complying, and I, I don't want to say, but we have to stop bitching. Excuse my language, right? But it's like, right. and so do you, like, so there's there are people, of course, that have gotten arrested, and it happened in Florida, but but they also, it took those people to continue to raise the awareness. Do you have encouragement for, you know, I'm a business owner, you're probably a business owner, of course, you know, these churches and pastors. You now there's a lot of churches that shut down, and it broke my heart. Like, what are you doing? Right, you know. Do you have encouragement to that, or can you speak to that? Is there anything you'd want a listener, or a business owner, or a pastor to hear regarding that? Because I think you know, said this could happen again. Like, we're not out of the woods, right? Oh I mean, no, 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 no. On, no. This you know? is
2: here's here's the thing. Th- this is going to happen again because this is not the first time that it's happened. Part of what we teach at Liberty for Society is is not just simply history is not just a a string of, of dates and dead people. History is is rich with lessons of human nature that we have to study, that we have to learn, so that we can prevent the mistakes of our past from repeating again. And so, what we have to do, and this is this is, we actually have a an activism boot camp at libertyfirstsociety.com dot uh, com, geared to teach people exactly how to become part of the solution rather than than a, a victim of the problem, yeah. you know, a powerless victim of the problem. Because I think that's a lot of what people believe, or at least what they feel, and that's part and parcel to the fact that for many generations. We've been teaching people that their only power in government is the ballot box. And that's simply not true. The ballot box is not the sum in total of our political power. The ballot box is what you do as a responsible member of a constitutional republic. It's what you do every other day as a citizen, uh, every other day of every other year than the election day is is what really, really controls government. And so we have to number one. And this is, like Samuel Adams said, it's ignorance that keeps us powerless. So the first thing that we have to do, and sort of going back to the understanding, is is admit that, you know, we may have been taught the wrong things. And you may not know what you think you know and so that's why we are are really heavily involved with what we call constitutional discipleship you know teaching people how government's supposed to really behave and the the and the power of the people to do that. And so then we teach people, you know, once you understand the proper role of government, and I'll just sort of give you a little spoiler alert, the proper role of government is actually very well defined in the Declaration of Independence as the sole power, the sole, the sole role of government to secure the rights of the people. That's really the only reason government exists is to secure our rights. And so the people have to to make government stay on task and that requires, number one, people being involved with their state and local government uh, on a regular basis, not just lobbyists doing that, but the general public lobbying for their own rights. And then also understanding that Um, how how do I put this delicately? Um, Liberty is is not neat and tidy. Uh, First, you have to be willing to realize that, hey, guess what? Um, Your pet project, that little subsidy that you want, that money from government is actually buying your liberty. And government should not be in the money distribution business in any way, shape, or form. So you have to want limited government, even when the expansion of government would personally Mm -hmm. benefit you. And then you also have to understand uh, what may be the best kept secret of government ever. And that's just the simple fact that laws don't stop crimes. Uh, So more laws don't fix moral problems. Um, if more laws were the answer, America would be a crime-free place because we've got way too many laws. Remember he said, Samuel Adams said knowledge and virtue. So we have to strive for liberty and liberty has a very specific definition. It's not freedom. Liberty and freedom are not the same thing. Liberty is freedom plus morality. In order to have liberty, a people must be able, willing to self govern. Because the more debauched we get, the less we self govern, the more laws we have to have to control the people. And the more laws means bigger government, and bigger government means less liberty.
0: It's amazing to th- using just even what you said. Right there, and looking at the state of affairs as a country, and even looking into how you know the divisiveness, if you want to say, or just some of the, the the frustration that's happening in our nation right now, and I've and I've seen you know, this talked about. You can see then, right, the the government, if you will, attempts to step in to appear to solve a problem. Because we're looking for, and I believe you even mentioned this in your video, right, this natural tendency for us to look for a leader, right? Look for a savior, look for somebody to help us. But then we don't realize what we're giving up when we say, come in and fix this, when that actually you could even make an argument that the, the divisiveness was part of the plan to take more power.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Government... And, and we have a bad habit of anthropomorphizing government. Government is not a living thing. People mm-hmm. in government are the living thing. And what we need to understand is that, you know, you have the saying that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, that's that's a nice end you know and yeah. looking backward kind of thing. The reality is that ungoverned government attracts people who are looking for power. So when we check out, you know, like we have, we vote maybe if you're a really diligent citizen, you vote every two years. Most Americans show up to the ballot box once every four years without even looking at the ballot until they go to sit down and vote. And in a situation like that, people whose entire psychology is built on avarice become those who run for government and then you combine that with the tribalistic nature of people so that we have you know the red team and the blue team the elephant team the donkey team the Demo- the republican team the democrat team then you 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 get these tribalistic factions and then it's the perfect storm for corruption because then you're taught You're not taught what government's supposed to do, but you are taught that you're supposed to, that you have to be a supporter of one party over the other and that you have to elect people regardless of who they are and what their fruits show you because they're a member of your team. And then you don't elect people based on their qualifications, on their moral aptitude, on their constitutional understanding, but you know which team they're on, and and that really is the perfect storm to a power, uh, an uncontrollable power in government.
1: Hey Chrisanne, maybe one final question here because I think it was just so important that you talked about in the documentary. You talked about the Constitution or the myth that it's a living, breathing document. Mm-hmm. And again, we want to send people to non-compliant. I cannot recommend enough that you watch it. You watch it with your children. You send it to everybody. Could you just speak to that sort of as a, uh, just maybe tease that a little bit? Because I know that you unpack it quite a bit there, um, but I think it's, right. a, it's a misconception a lot of people have bought into and completely accepted in this day and age.
2: Uh, part of the problem is the definition of the terms. You know, you you get into certain Christian circles and people think of it as a living, breathing document, meaning it's alive and it's active, but the real definition as, a, as it is meant to be applied is that it's a document subject to change to a very fluid change depending upon the whim or or the desires of society and nothing could be further from the truth as a matter of fact the constitution remember we talked about is a contract which was placed in writing, not by accident, by the way, because the history of British government is a lot of verbal agreements. And so they realized they have to have this contract in writing in order for it to be a written standard for government. And that's the key to understanding what the Constitution really is. It is a written standard for the operation, the limited operation of government that can only be changed through an arduous process outlined specifically in Article 5 of the Constitution. And it was done so specifically to prevent government from being able to increase its power by the whim and, you know, the the uneducated need of the public.
0: So where would you encourage, um, like you said, so I know, you know, things have, in a sense, relaxed um, around, you know, and I, I think you could make the argument, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, you know, the season we're in here right towards, you know, just the beginning of March, there seems to be some political um, maneuvering happening where there's been some reduction in what you want to call these COVID restrictions and things like that. So some people are are breathing a little easier, <laughs> pun intended. Uh, people are feeling like, oh, hey, we're, you know, I, I'm, I'm remembering this um, this either story or, or picture I saw, and I believe it was, you might remember, it's either it's Lenin or one of these, lead, you know, communist leaders. And he, he said, let me, you want me to show you how you control people? And then he, or, and so he takes a chicken, right, and he plucks it, and he, he abuses it, and he, you know, pl- takes some feathers out, and it's bleeding. And then the same hand that did that throws him a few scraps, right? Throws a few crumbs, right. and the bird comes to back to eat that. And I feel at the risk of an over, an, you know, overly strong metaphor, but there's, I mean, when people are celebrating, uh, quote, you know, rights that they got given back to them—these are all air quotes—should never have been taken. There's no thank you that I should be giving back to the federal government that overstepped its powers and, quote, took away things that were never theirs to take away in the first place. But you, it's so important. I think, like you said, we do not want to be this, this victim mentality where we're walking around moaning and groaning like, resist, don't right. comply. Right? right now there's some tools there's some ways to do that you of course are the foremost expert on this is there any final thoughts you would want to leave our listeners with on you know getting in the game you know and, you know what would you tell us to do an action step that we can take
2: yeah and not not, not to sound yeah. You know, trite, but the, the the beginning of the journey always uh, begins with the first step, right? So, first step is first step. You just have to step up and read about it. You know, start learning. And I always tell people who, who come to me and they say, "Well, how do I?" Um, I'm very passionate about what I do, and I think that comes through in the way that I teach. And people come and say, "Well, how how do I do what you do? How do I how do I?" find that passion and I say, well, well. The, the first thing you have to do is realize that our mind is like a sponge, but you can't squeeze out of your mind what you don't soak up. Uh, you, so you have to soak up what you want to squeeze out. And while you're reading, while you're learning, while you're studying, uh, is you're going to find something that makes you, makes your blood pressure go up, makes your heart quicken, makes your chin quiver. And when you find that thing, that's your passion. And then once you find that thing, then you dive into it, right? I don't know everything about everything. I don't, I don't teach every aspect of government authority and government overreach. And I don't get into you know, economics and I don't teach about the Federal Reserve and I don't teach about these things because there are people who have the passion to do that. And I leave that to the experts. And so we have to get in ourselves the education that's necessary to, to teach other people. And that's really, really the key. You, you have to feed yourself with the wisdom to drive you in the proper direction there is really no other way anybody who comes to you and this is my fair warning okay if anybody comes to you and says to you this is the this is the only way we can save america if you do this one thing we can save America. Or if you do this, you know, you sign this name or you you, uh, you revoke this bond or you sign this petition, we'll save America. If you have somebody that comes to you and says something to you like that, you need to run away quickly. The human nature in us wants us to find easy, quick routes mm-hmm. Uh, but we've been coming down this wrong road since 1833, and it's not going to turn around overnight. There is no magic spell, no incantation, no no, no magic beam. No yeah, there's yeah. no pill. Right? Yeah. Matrix is a great movie, but that's not how it actually <laughs> works. We have this is going to be a battle. It's going to be a battle of the mind. It is a battle of culture. And to do that, we have to be in it for the long haul. On my website, chrisannhall.com, I have an article titled Stolen Education, Stolen Children, Stolen Future, where I just simply give the outline of the Marxist takeover of the public education system. And these people were brilliant, and they were long-sighted. So in the mid-1800s, the Marxists that have created the education system in government education that we have today, knew that they were not going to change America overnight. They had a hundred year vision. And so we've got to have that kind of persistence and we've got to have that kind of vision as well. Uh, So don't go looking for the pill and don't go looking for the incantation. Uh, Make sure that you understand that this is a generational thing. Educate your children while you get educated because we can do everything we can to, you know, to restore liberty in America. But if we keep raising Marxist communist children, uh, everything that we do will be in vain because they'll yeah. be searching for the wrong things.
0: We are so thankful for your time as listening to you. I was thinking, you know, as, as, as you were walking through that last bit, yes, it's a, a, a long it could be a long journey, right? It could be, it reminds me of that, uh, right? There's so many, so many great quotes, right? Martin Luther King Jr., right? Well, if you can't, if you can't walk, crawl. If you can't crawl, right? Dr- whatever. But do something, right? Do Life. something. And I think about this. I've got children. And yes, it might be a long journey, a long haul, a long fight, but it's worth it. Like what else are we gonna fight for? Like how much more Instagram we can have? How many more like how much more food we can get delivered to our house by a helicopter? Like what are what are you fighting for? If you're not because those things that you probably enjoy as your as your comforts or as your whatever you wanna call that, your hashtag blessings, which many I think are burdens, those things that we often attribute with this cush great life that we have, it's come at a cost. You've articulated that very well. So you know, it's it, you know anything can hang really in a generation. Whether it's you know a lot can be lost, a lot can be gained, and so you know as you're listening to this, you know get in the game, get educated. I mean. You know, <laughs> we'd much rather have a generation of people that are educated on the Constitution than they are about the latest, you know, Xbox game that came out or, or whatever, right? The latest TikTok dance to do. Like, find things that are valuable and worthy, and you won't regret it. Our kiddos are counting on us. Our generations, our future generations are counting on us to get in the game, to understand what we're doing, and to do that. And you have been so pivotal Now We're so grateful that you're in Florida. We're thankful that you took the time today. Well, hopefully our listeners will get on, support your project. And uh, just God bless the work that you do, Chrisanne.
2: Well, oh, thank you so much and I'm really grateful for the opportunity always to to reach people and educate them and then share with them what we know and the ways that we can work together to to do this. I'm 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 in this because I have a fourteen a fifteen year old son. I don't want to have to go to war to fight back for his liberty. I want him to inherit it.
1: Amen to that. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, give us a five-star review and share it with your tribe. To learn more about Dr. Ben's work, visit AchieveWellness.clinic.